from APM Reports, this is the Educate Podcast, a collaboration with The Heckinger Report. I'm Stephen Smith. Today on the podcast, we're going to bring you a story that first aired on Minnesota Public Radio in October of 2014. It's about a locked special ed school in Minneapolis for K-8 through students who haven't been able to succeed in other schools. Those who come to the River Bend Education Center are often from chaotic backgrounds. They have emotional and behavioral disorders. Which makes it all the more surprising what's taken root here. Stillness, silence, yoga. It started with a school social worker who was tired of being a paper pusher, and so she got down on the floor to teach students how to find the calm within themselves. Sasha Eslanian has our story. It's 10 past 7 at River Bend in North Minneapolis. The skyline of downtown Minneapolis gleams close by as elementary and middle school students file in. Social worker Rebecca Stewart is one of the first people they see. Morning, Nevea. There's many very sleepy children coming off the bus, many eating Pop-Tarts or Cheetos <laughs> for breakfast. We really just try to greet every kid by name and make them feel welcome and that we're glad to see them at school. Hi, Michael. Nice to see you today. We missed you yesterday. Staff open backpacks and children go through a metal detector or get wanded. The doors are locked because these kids are runners. For them, it's fight or flight every day. We take baseball hats, things that might be gang related. The kids come from neighborhoods often convulsed by violent crime. In the week I visited in late September, a former student was shot in the head and survived. Some current middle school students are closely related to those involved, and younger students witness the shooting from their after-school childcare. Riverbend serves students from some of the city's poorest families. Three-quarters of them are boys. Most are children of color. Ten percent of students are homeless or highly mobile. They're here because they struggle with their behavior, things like impulse control. Now, it's a given when you take a microphone into a school, kids will try to talk into it. Rebecca Stewart sees me wince from the ear-shattering blast in my headphones. Her long, dark hair swings as she bends close to the girl, fixing her with her bright blue eyes. Full disclosure, I've known Stewart since first grade. Listen to how she steps in. Let me introduce you. This She's is my friend, Sasha. Sasha, is this is my friend, Jakaira. Say, say nice to station. meet you, and then say, is what are you doing here? How See, there's, you a ni- here? there's a nicer way to do this. Jakaira's curious about me and my microphone, but she didn't have the social skills to ask questions. Stewart's work at Riverbend is helping students bridge this gap. The children who come to us are not willfully defiant. Many of them have suffered multiple traumas. We understand the brain science behind that now and that kids need to learn how to regulate. They need to learn how to sit in a chair before they can read. Four years ago, when Stuart came to Riverbend, she was frustrated. Not because of the kids, it was the paperwork. She began to carve out an hour each week to teach the kids yoga. It was something for her own sanity, but also something she thought kids would benefit from. Some of the kids had never heard of it. Why are you going to make us do yogurt, Miss Rebecca, they would say. <laughs> Stuart wanted to give the kids something they could carry within themselves, something that didn't depend on a parent filling a prescription or getting them to a therapy appointment. What can the kids learn at school that they can use anywhere, even if they're in a shelter? And the things that really stuck out to me were breathing, 
you're always breathing. How can you use your breathing to calm your nervous system? Even some poses, like rock pose or child's pose, is a way to feel safe and contained no matter where you are. Lift your heels up and take a deep breath in. And breathe out, push your heels down towards the ground. In a spacious classroom decorated with kids' art and class photographs, three boys, ages 8, 9, and 10, stretch out on yoga mats. They take turns offering their descriptions of mindfulness, being quiet, calm, and staying in the present. Then they shift to the joy of striking animal poses. Frog, giraffe, shark, gorilla. Yoga also gives them an athletic challenge. Vermetrius is a wiry 10-year-old. He suggests a class goal of holding plank pose for 25 seconds. They're down on their palms and toes like they're ready to do a push-up, clenching all their muscles to hold still. 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. He told me he was doing yoga. And I said, what do you mean you're doing yoga? You're too young to do yoga. Yolanda Powell is Vermitrice's mom. She likes what she's heard from her son about his two-day-a-week mind-body class. He said, no, mom, it feels so good. It's very relaxing, and I can stretch all my bones. I said, oh, okay, nice. Vermitrice's mom says he started out in regular public elementary schools but had behavior problems and needed a smaller, more hands-on environment. At River Bend, he's learned to redirect himself instead of losing his temper. Now, she says, he uses these techniques outside of school. At church, he is able to redirect the other youth there. He does the breathing, he does the scratching, and he also does the walk around, is what he call it. It's when you have to count to ten and you walk in a circle. He'd rather calm himself down and de-escalate the issue because it could get worse. Does he use that term, de-escalate? Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> The kindergartners are thrilled to pass two black labs in the hallway. Therapy dogs from a nonprofit called Pause for Learning are frequent visitors to Stewart's mind body class. Riverbend administrator Chris Pagel says the dogs boost everyone's mood. The thing that I notice building wide is that when those therapy dogs come in the building, the entire building calms down adults and children. May I please pet your dog? Yeah, go ahead and ask me that. Jennifer Troy, the director of Pause for Learning, co-teaches with Stuart and introduces the children to today's dogs, Annie and Raven. Hi, Annie. Okay, you're going to let her sniff the back of your hand. Please <laughs> let her sniff. So can anyone raise their hand and tell me if you remember what the best way to meet a dog is? You have to sit there and be calm, otherwise the dog is going to jump off if you run around That's and true. bark at you. Jokari, do you remember something? And if you off test, the dog gonna be off test if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. It's really interesting to talk to the child about what's it like to try to teach this dog who's not listening. What do you need to do? You need to get her to look in your eyes. You need to get her to have a still body. So they get the opportunity to teach the dog what I'm secretly trying to teach them. Did she listen the first time? The dogs can also make kids feel safe, talking about deeper worries. Last year, one of the Paws for Learning dogs named Girl got old and sick and died. Today, these second and third graders want to talk about her. I remember when we made cars for Girl. Remember when we made a blanket for Girl? 
The children ask more and more questions. How could Troy tell her dog was dead? Can the dog still feel pain? Then they bring up the people in their lives who have died. Uncles, cousins, older brothers. Stuart and Troy gently guide the discussion back to the class topic. But Stuart says the dog's death last year offered a teachable moment on compassion, grief, and loss. So it was really cathartic, I think, for kids who have a lot of violence in their lives and then don't have a lot of positive models about how to cope with that or talk about it. Hallway transitions were generally quiet and orderly during my visits to River Bend, but I catch a glimpse of the volatility that can happen with students inside the building. A small boy is walking with a staff person on each side, headed to an area of the school called the practice or breakout rooms. The four doorless rooms are the size of generous walk-in closets. They're painted soothing colors, and there's no furniture or anything to throw. A staff person sits in a chair in the doorway, supervising the child until he or she is calm enough to head back to class. Christopher Morgan is a special education assistant assigned to these rooms. It's a very physical job. Like, I've been, you know, bitten, kicked, spit on, punched, like, on a daily basis. But Morgan says he's seeing the benefits of the mind-body class in this part of the school. They started using the words from Miss Rebecca's class. Optimism, patience, breathing, calmness. We have all of these words, like, written in the breakout room. The children would come in on their rage, you know, sometimes attacking me, sometimes just very violent. And I was able to use the words on the wall to give them a little, to empower them. Do you want to go in the breathing room? Do you want to go in the calm room? Are you feeling optimistic right now? That would immediately put their mind back to where they were in Miss Rebecca's class. One of the problems that I noticed when I first got here and was being a building-wide social worker is we would tell kids, calm down. You can't go back to class until you calm down. But we didn't have any actual practice or language around how to do that. And if a kid knew how to calm down from being told to do so, they never would be in the school in the first place. So that's where mind-body class really comes in, and that's where people like Mr. Morgan, who come to my class and, and learn the language and the strategies, are so helpful to then spread it throughout the building community and its tools that the kids can use, can actually use, to get back out of break out and back to class. Nice job, everybody. Keeping kids in class is the name of the game. Because of their behavior problems, students might come here years behind in school. Megan Harvey is a kindergarten and first grade teacher who is incorporating the mind-body training in her classroom. She says it's helped her students get along better. I've noticed that the kids are more aware of each other. You know, they're, if somebody drops something, they all race over to help and clean it up. And, you know, before somebody would drop something and they would all laugh or, you know, the teacher would go over and help, but now they all race over and help each other. And I don't know, there's just a, a different sense of community. The long-term prospects for kids in programs like Riverbend are typically bleak. And there's not a lot of research or evidence of best practices in how to reach kids who have been unreachable. But a year and a half into the mind-body program, the impact might best be measured by who's not here. Administrator Chris Pagel says last year, 20 students were able to return to less restrictive school settings. The fact that we can send 20 students back to regular ed is huge when you think of, you know, 124 students. That's really large because there are years where we have maybe five, and so that's a success. 
As the school day comes to a close at Riverbend, Stewart stands at the door, handing back the toys and distracting possessions kids turned in at the door that morning. Hi, we're back now. Have a great weekend. We'll see you Monday. And don't forget your dime. And your slinky. Staff know that some in the community call Riverbend the jail school because the doors are locked. But parent Yolandra Powell disagrees. They have taught my son how to protect himself and protect others. And um, not only that, they showed him not to be scared and not to be bullied either. So, yes, the doors are locked. Yes, they do take their stuff. Yes, it is like a jail, but you have to look in the inner beauty of it. And a lot of people don't see that, and I do, because I go up there. There's some love. Give me a high five. See you Monday. Bye, Xavion. There are no illusions that yoga can solve everything these kids are up against. But in a school where so many return to chaos, it's a start. Bye, Lazaric. See you Monday. You did great today. Thanks. Bye. You don't want to miss your bus. I'm Stephen Smith. That story was originally produced by our correspondent Sasha Eslanian in 2014. And we have a few updates to pass along. Social worker Rebecca Stewart has moved on to another school in the Minneapolis district. She's now collaborating with the University of Minnesota's Center for Spirituality and Healing on a two-year pilot project coaching classroom teachers on personal and educational mindfulness practices. Riverbend continues to do mind-body work with students. The school has added social and emotional learning classes and has incorporated brain breaks into every class to help students learn to regulate their thoughts and bodies. That does it for this episode. We would love to hear from you, so please send us a note to contact at apmreports.org or find us on Twitter and Facebook at Educate Podcast. The Educate Podcast is produced by Alex Baumhart with Emily Hanford and Chris Julin. Next time, our partners from the Heckinger Report are back, and we'll explore why so many students from rural areas are not going to college. Reporting for our story on Riverbend was supported by the Journalism Center on Children and Families and the National Association of Social Workers Foundation. Support for APM Reports education reporting comes from Lumina Foundation and the Spencer Foundation. I'm Stephen Smith. Thanks for listening. This is APM.